Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the short thing today. It is October 11th. Warren and Ryan here with you. You can check us out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the iHeartRadio Podcast uh, on section on that app. We had big problems last week. Uh, Ryan's computer uh, just shut off in the middle of recording, like 45 minutes in when we were about to wrap up. But then the Skype recording only recorded for like 15 minutes. And that's the file that I downloaded, as I don't understand what happened there. So we had big, big time uh, problems on that. So I probably apologize um, for that. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. So that was pretty, uh, pretty weird there today. We'll obviously recap a great college football weekend. Talk a little playoffs as well. Ryan, how's it going out there? It's going great. Nice, uh, nice weather this weekend. I was out on the baseball field plenty, so uh, got to enjoy it a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah, it was uh, it was good stuff there um, this weekend. There was bloody. So you said earlier that you have started uh, Ted Lasso. You were also nervous that you heard that people were upset that the beginning of season two wasn't off to the hottest of starts. I am assuming that you have you binge caught up or what is your status on Ted Lasso? Yeah, we uh we watched the final episode on Friday night, the season finale. Uh, so uh we are we are completely caught up. Okay, what are no spoilers, but what are your uh what are your thoughts? Um I I enjoyed the show just as much as I did the first season. Um cuz the first season kind of followed more of a storyline like like the season 1 the storyline was like the forefront of everything. Whereas this one was more season two was more episodic and, but there was still bits and pieces of a storyline throughout each episode, if that makes sense. Like there was always like kind of something that kept everything flowing and gelling together, but it wasn't just one long story. Um, like the first season, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I, I still think it was, you know, just as good as the, as the first season. I think, I think the first couple episodes, the writers or, you know, whoever, maybe obviously the writers, like they, they were like in on the joke now. And so it kind of became too much Ted Lasso at first, but then it kind of like middle of the season kind of, kind of mellowed out and became a, you know, much more like, like season one, as far as, you know, all his little quips and, and things like that. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I liked it throughout and they, they were just going more through you. You learn more about the characters in this season than you did the last one. Yeah. Like that other one was more about, it was kind of about like to him being a coach and the soccer and everything like that. And then now you got more of the behind the scenes in depth in the, um, uh, in the characters and stuff and then big character arcs for, for people and things along those lines. So it was, it was much more, um, interesting. I thought. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. There was definitely, a peek behind the curtain for a lot of the guys. Uh, the way it ends is very interesting. Um, and there's kind of one one same theme uh, throughout all the characters that you kind of learn about, whether it's Ted, Roy Kent, uh, Jamie Hart, uh, Nate, the assistant. There's kind of like a, the same theme with all of them. And it was kind of wrapped up there at the, for sure, the season finale. You kind of really noticed it, at least for me. Maybe other people noticed it earlier, which because there was plenty of more tips along the way of what the kind of overall writing theme was of all these characters. Uh, but it really came out in that last episode for me. And so, like I said, that was kind of cool how each, each episode was, was its own, but there was also still a theme through the whole thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, the problem is, is now they got to kind of end up, you gotta, you can't run into like how many seasons is this going to go? Like it's already picked up for a third season. But it's just like what you can't just keep dragging, like dragging it out or you just can't keep going on and on and on with it. Like it has to end. Like they're almost better off saying, hey, season three, we'll do like this is the end of it. Or and then maybe you could do like a spinoff character. What Like you have to come to an end soon, I think. I think they have to win the Premier League and then they're and then they wrap it up. Yeah, but I think that as we I think that's too obvious, though. Nah. I no, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's like they gotta win something. Maybe the FA Cup since they made the semifinals this year. Yeah. I don't know. But that just winning the Premier League, that seems like too like we could all figure that out. I don't know. 
And I think sometimes shows like that don't want to do that. But uh, I don't know. That was good. All right. To the football weekend. We'll start off in college. Good thing it was not. Uh, it wasn't out there that I said that this slate. I I did preface. I said this the, the slate of games this week was not other than a few were not that enticing to me, but the few that were lived up to the hype. Um, and, and it delivered, uh, we'll start it with the, uh, Texas OU game. Uh, what a, what a game that was. I, uh, as, as, uh, people have said, all gas, no brakes until the gas runs out and you don't use the brakes at all is what happened to Texas on uh, Saturday. Just ran out of steam. And OU, I, I'll say this. I don't think, I think Lincoln Riley's a good ga- uh, good X's and O's guy, but his game management, I don't, it's subpar. He's not a good game manager. I Like he could, he, he's a good X's and O's dude for sure, but his game management stuff I thought was poor on Saturday, even though they ended up winning. Other than pulling Rattler, here's the thing about pulling Rattler. If Caleb Williams, I think, doesn't score like that, doesn't run in for the 66 yard touchdown when he brings him in on fourth and one, Rattler is in on the next play. Like, if he gets that first down and say maybe 15, 20 yards, Rattler's coming in and they're kind of doing like a little hybrid thing. But when he saw he ran for 66 and a touchdown, he was like, okay, damn, maybe I have to do, I, maybe I do have to play this kid the rest of the game or something like that. I know Rattler came in for a two point conversion and a couple plays here and there, but. It was pretty much the show after that, and I wonder if he wouldn't have scored a touchdown, how much that would have changed his thinking on if he had to play that kid the rest of the game. Saying that he's a game manager and then prefacing with, "Oh, well, he pulled his starting quarterback." That okay, you know, that wasn't that, that. That's that's good game management right there. Like, well, you, he pulled his the the number one quarterback recruit, five star guy. He pulled him in the middle of the game and puts in this guy, and he ends up, you know, taking them to victory. So I think you know, saying that he's he's not a game manager, but he did make a call that changed the whole complexity of the oh. uh, complexion of the game is, you know, kind of contradictory. Okay. Well, let me, pre- then after that, when he's kicking a bunch of field goals, instead of going in four on fourth down, that's, I guess I should have clarified on that. Like when it came down to time after he made the quarterback change and also Spencer Rattler has been bad for about three or four weeks. So I think that this was in the back of Lincoln Riley's mind for a while, especially seeing how practice was, but I mean like always settling for the field goal. Hey, you're down. 28 to seven, you're down 35, 10. Like you ain't going to, you would think you're not going to win kicking these field goals here. When you keep getting down inside the 25 and the 20, like you have to go for it and take the chance of not getting the points here or there. You have to do it. That's, I guess I should have said that's where I was at. Maybe he had the over and he just needed points. Well, he didn't, it didn't really matter. The over was going to hit the hit no matter what, probably. But uh, either way. Yeah. I mean, um, I said on, <coughs> excuse me, on Thursday that um, uh, I had a big, you know, I, I thought Texas was going to win. I thought they were going to cover um, because of how poor Spencer Rattler had been playing and the OU defense hasn't really been that good. And so if he was throwing picks all over the place, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas jumps out to a big lead, which they did. Uh, but then they couldn't, uh, you know, stop OU's offense once the backup comes in, Caleb Williams, and, you know, we get what, you know, an all-timer of going back and forth and you know, the passing game was good, but a couple of the biggest daggers were plays that came on the ground for OU and, and big time runs. Obviously the game winner came on a little fake pitch direct snap from the running back that they had ran that play previously in the, in the, in the game, I believe in the first half for a big gain. And uh, so, you know, all things considered, you know, you think you score 50, you know, 50 points a piece or whatever it was uh, that it's going to be through the air, but a couple of the biggest plays were on defense or excuse me, we're on the ground. And then defensively, obviously neither team was any good. There were some spectacular catches. And like I said, I think, I, you know, I, I don't think you can, you can put a lot of blame on Texas for blowing the lead they did, obviously. But I think jumping out to the lead that they did, they probably didn't expect that. So they got a little over their skis and really didn't know how to, how to you know, I don't know if Sarkeesian, you know, what his thought process was behind the whole thing, but. I said it was an all-timer. It's a great game. It's the same game that we get almost every year. It seems like, and every year we talk about how this might be the best one yet. Well, I think they could. They they the fact that B, that Bijan Robinson only got 20 carries in a game that at halftime you're up 38, you're up 38 20. I know you still want to be aggressive, but that cannot happen. That guy is like one of the best running backs in the country, if not the best. 
And the guy, he's he's picking off seven, eight yards a pop. He cannot only get 20 touches. They only scored 10 points in the second half. And OU's defense coming out of halftime played a lot better. Like, mm-hmm. they play a lot better. And even, even at the start of the game, the OU defense wasn't giving up any, like, if you're talking seven, eight, nine play scoring drives. The first one was one play. Then they got the block punt, and they were they were held up in their own 20. Great field position for tech. Like, they were not giving out long, sustained drives. They would give up huge chunk plays, or they would turn it over, and they'd have a short field. It wasn't like they're going 75 yards at the thing, at the, uh, at the whole half. So the defense, from that point, you could say, was playing fine. They were just giving up big, big uh, plays, but the— um, like sustained drives wasn't there. And then the second half, their their defense played a lot, lot better. But I, I just cannot look at that game and see how does Robinson only get 20 carries. And I know I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm I'm the guy that, that doesn't really like looking at, you got to throw the ball, and then that helps out the run. And like I, I don't like people that say, like, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, because it's too predictable. But when you got a guy in college like Robinson, he's – He's got to have the ball in his hands uh, way more than that, I think, especially when you have a lead of that of that nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree that, you know, that that's uh, those rushing attempts should have been probably in the 30 to 35 range. But I mean, again, you go back to the head coach Sarkeesian. I mean, that's he's known for chucking the ball around the yard. That's what they're going to keep doing. That's what you you've done to build this lead. And like you said, you know, you got to be aggressive, but you also have to kind of be smart about it. And uh they uh, that proved to bite him in the butt. The fact that they could only muster up 10 points that second half after such a big uh, after getting such a big lead. Now, part of that was because they were starting off with good field position a lot of the times after a couple of turnovers. And, uh, you know, but nonetheless, you still got to be able to move the ball up and down. And like I said, I think I think I thought I was crazy for thinking Bajan Robinson was one of the was the top running back in the in the uh, country. I was like, man, that's, that guy's got to be one or two. I thought I was crazy, so I'm glad you agreed and you know kind of said it the same way because that guy is great. He is very, very good, and uh, the fact that they didn't you know ride him a little bit more was uh, obviously a huge mistake, and I think uh, a mistake that they wish they they could have back. Yeah, for OU going forward, like there's no way Spencer Rattler can play again unless Caleb Williams gets hurt, right? Correct. Like there's no way they he's looked terrible since the West Virginia. Even he's looked terrible since the Nebraska game, and Nebraska's better than people. Uh, I think even though they're three and four now, they're they're uh, better than you think. But he's like terrible all season. Like there's no way they can uh, they can do that. I did think the funniest thing ever. So I went uh, to Henderson Tap House to watch the game with some friends. They were all OU buddies. <laughs> and and when Williams comes in and he's like leading them back, he goes, "Guys, I think we need to bet." Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. He's probably going to be like 50, 60 to one. Like if he keeps doing this, he's going to be, he's going to be in Heisman contention. I'm like, dude, he's not going to do it. Just save your money or whatever. But in the middle of the fourth quarter, they're already trying to figure out. They're already saying, Hey, I like a future on Caleb Williams this year to win the Heisman. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. That's, that's not going to happen. (laughs) We're, we're what? Six weeks into the season now. Yeah. Weeks. Yeah. Probably not going to happen there. Fellas. I know. I was like, you guys are totally caught up in the moment right now. Okay. Like, yes, he's playing fantastic, but, but they're like, who's going to win the Heisman? I go, I, not him. I'll tell you that. I don't know who, I don't know who the front runner is. Matt Corral. Maybe. I don't know, but it ain't, it ain't going to be Caleb Williams. I can tell you that. Um, that is for sure. Um, so that was an all time, uh, all time classic. And, uh, man, that's, that's, uh, I know this isn't really rocket science, but uh, if I was uh, Texas, I'd much rather lose on the last second field goal than than that touchdown of hey, we're just running out the clock for a field goal. Yeah, 100%. and would much rather lose on the field goal. Absolutely on, the, on that one. And then the other, the biggest upset of the week, total shocker. Even though there, I've. I should have known. You know, we always talk about how crazy college football is. Like. Big time underdogs always compete with um, like you'll see major upsets like from group of five or you'll be like, how does Florida State beat North Carolina? Like 18 point dogs winning here or there. And when everybody is on a side, 
thinking a team is going to get absolutely their doors blown off. I should have known that the, I am not saying that the Aggies would have won, but I should have known the Aggies would have put up a fight, but it's just so hard to convince yourself after watching them the last weeks that the quarterback was going to be able to do it. Like how does that performance come out in a and beating Alabama shout out credit to me. Alabama under 11 and a half. I said, I thought at the beginning of the season, they could lose to A&M. Now I didn't think they were going to lose to A&M going in uh, on Saturday, the way the Aggies have played, but I should have known everybody was on Bama and how bad A&M has been, that something was going to be cooking there. And I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't see it. Um, But what a performance by the Aggies. And I think I've talked about this with you before. This is like a game. I wish can end in a tie. When Alabama and A&M play each other, I don't like any. I don't like them each. I don't want any of them to win. Like Yankees, Red Sox, throw that in there. Steelers, Ravens, throw it in a tie. No one's happy. Like I wish these games could end could end in a tie or whatever. But this one, I'm gonna be honest. At the end, when Calzada, whatever, had that leg injury or whatever, I. I think I was end up rooting for the Aggies to win at the end, and I had a live bet on Alabama too to win. So. I I felt actually good for the quarterback that he that he let him down at the end, as it pains me to say it. Um, I felt happy for the quarterback. All the other Aggies, they can go f off. I don't really, I'm not happy for them at all. But I felt good for the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, no, definitely. Again, like you said, nobody saw this coming. Um, and uh, you look at you look at the box score, and you look at Robinson for Alabama has a huge day on the ground. Bryce Young has a good day passing, and you're like. Alabama lost this game. Like, how how did that happen? Obviously, Jamie and I watching it, and AM gets out to the big lead, to, you know, kind of jump out at the in the first quarter. And she's all giddy. She's like, Oh, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it. And then slowly but surely, the uh the hype starts to fade a little bit. We were at, we were out to eat, we went out to dinner. Um, we didn't have uh the boys, so we went out to dinner and we're watching the game. We leave at halftime and we're listening to the to the game on the radio. And, uh, once maybe like once or twice a year, listen to a football game on the radio. It's fantastic. It's, it's so good. Um, but that's beside the point. And, uh, the only thing is I had to keep explaining to Jamie what was going on. Cause she would just listen to keywords like incomplete or first down or something like that. And then she would, you know, kind of get excited for what, whatever happened. That was kind of funny. But, uh, so, you know, slowly, but surely the, the, the hope starts dwindling a little bit. And like you said, when Calzada went out and they're talking about a freshman walk-on coming in to replace them, she was like, oh, this, you know, this is it. This is, you know, that it was fun while it lasted. I, you know, I shouldn't have got my hopes up, yada, yada. And uh, then he ends up coming at, coming back in and being fine. You, I would have guessed that thing was toast, the way those guys were falling into his leg and it bent backwards, yeah. uh, you know, into him. We had two big linemen falling into his leg, you know, and he, and he delivered a friggin' dime of a pass while doing it. So I could have sworn that thing that that thing was done for, uh, but he comes back out there, like you said, puts him puts him in a great position to score. And the kicker, uh, did you did you see the field goal live? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That thing was going left. <laughs> that was not going in. That was not because as soon as he kicked it, I went, "Oh, he missed it!" And then it curved. It he hits a little, I don't know, short fade, and it comes right back in the upright. I thought he missed it. I thought he. He had shit the bed and, and totally pushed it to the left. And, uh, but none, you know, nonetheless, it, it hooks back in and, and game over. But when, when that off his foot, that thing had zero chance of going in. Do you, oh, totally. I thought he missed it too. Yeah. I thought he missed it for sure. And you know, the whole, remember when the Packers came in and had that late comeback, the Mason Crosby kick or whatever, Yesterday? like skip, skip Bayless was complaining that there was some wind in AT&T stadium or like, how did the act of God, like put that through the uprights? Yeah, you know what you know. You know what I'm yeah. talking about, right? That is the same exact thing about how that A&M kick went in. Like that ball was headed 60 yards left of the upright. Like that wasn't yeah. even close. And I don't know what happened, but uh, it was only what 28 yards or something, 30 something yards. Like that, yeah, like it was a shorty too. But it, that thing was headed way left. Um, and also like A&M coming back from 38 down 38, 31. And then, okay, they score the touchdown, but then get a three and out. Mm -hmm. Incredible stuff. Absolutely. That they came back to win. Like when you're like, okay, 38-31, all right, Bama's going to win here. Because they weren't moving. They didn't move the ball in the second half at all. Like the the way the game 
flow was going like they weren't moving it at all whatever they were doing in the first half wasn't working the adjustments by bama and it just they just did not look like they could move the ball at all and uh and man they that drive they just they got uncorked um but that was a a great game a stunner now it opens up it opens up the playoff now bama they get another loss they're cooked their two games on the road have definitely been shaky. They got another road game uh, this week, so we'll have to see that. And then the other one, uh, Iowa uh, comes back to beat Penn State when Sean Clifford goes out, and then Penn State literally can't do it. You think Iowa is the best team in the Big Ten? I will. I a strong disagree with you on saying Iowa is the best team in the Big Ten after watching them on Saturday. And I would 100% agree. That offense is so <laughs> bad. That offense stinks. I mean, that like it was, I was like, there's high school offenses that are better than this offense. So, you know what? They were, they, how about this? Iowa has been playing the best in the Big Ten, and but they are definitely not the best team because that offense is putrid. It's horrible. Like, Penn State's got a really, really good defense. And if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, Penn State wins the game. Probably. Like, they, they probably go on and win the game. Um, but look, at least good for Iowa. They came back to win. I will say, look, if you're the number three team in the country, you cannot storm the field. I don't care. I don't care if you live in Iowa, you got nothing else going for you. You cannot storm the field, but even Iowa's scheduled this year, like Iowa state, they've struggled. They aren't as good as we thought they were like Indiana's horrible. They've played a bad, uh, Maryland defense and scored 51. Like they haven't teams other than Maryland's horrible defense. They haven't put up more than 30 and the other time they put up 30 was on Kent and Kent's defense isn't really anything to write home about but um yeah they are they are not at least offensively I'm not impressed with them defensively I think they're very very good also James Franklin needs to figure out like we saw Lincoln Riley have his backup prepared or had a game plan for the backup James Franklin needed something how do you how is your coaching staff not prepared if Clifford gets hurt to have that guy come in and do something because he he just looked it didn't help that the linemen were false starting all over the place and so many pre-snap penalties but like you didn't do anything to help your guy out um out there but that was an entertaining like it was a great saturday the games were great on saturday absolutely a lot of good games um so it, you know for for what it was advertised it ended up being a lot better uh you know we even talked about the mississippi arkansas game that was yeah. a you know barn burner. What do you think about the the go for two there at the end for Arkansas? You have to do. It. I think you have to do it. Ah, uh, see, usually if you're if you're the uh, if I'm saying if you're the road team and you're you know it's it's tie and going to overtime or go for two, you go for two. But I don't know if it's it's uh what do they call it? revisionist history where that the the offensive play call they made was just not yeah. any good. But I'm I'm thinking, hey, you're you've been scoring all day. Just take this bad boy into overtime. See if you can get one stop, and uh, and, and let it ride. But I, like I said, usually like 98 percent of the time, I say if you're the road team and you're playing for the win, you go for the win. But this case, I think it would have been better off for Arkansas to to play for the tie and take it to overtime. Well, I think that's part of it because you saw the play call. Like yeah. I love going for two, but that play call is horrible. Yeah, it was. I think yeah. I think that's what it, it that's what it comes down to. Like love, love going for two. You're on the road. You haven't been able to stop. Both teams haven't been able to stop each other. And you're like, hey, this is probably our best chance to win right now. So you're gonna do it. But the is play it call. Though? I mean, I guess if I guess they haven't been able to stop you. Yeah, I guess that might be your best shot. But like that's what I'm saying. Nobody's been able to stop anybody. Let's just see. Let's take it overtime and just you know, best man wins. Yeah, I guess, but you're also probably thinking, how how many more how many more plays can my guy go? Yeah, like can my guys go? They're already playing a ton, and I know some of them are a bunch of like short drives or whatever. But it's like, how many how many how many more plays can these guys play? Like how many more do I got out there? So you're thinking, hey, I got a chance to win it here. Let's take it. Um, yeah. but I think it's just a play call is just a terrible, terrible play call. And if, and they would need a better play call, but, uh, look, things opened up over the weekend for Cincinnati to get Cincinnati to get in the playoff, uh, with Alabama losing, um, and Georgia had a nice one on the road at Auburn, but, uh, yeah, no, things are wide open this year. The, the funniest thing is, and it, 
is that people are already getting upset that Ohio State's going to finesse their way back into the playoff. I don't think there's any finessing with Ohio State. Ohio State's offense is the best in the country. I'll say it right now. They're the best in the country. Yeah, they've played Rutgers and Maryland, so the defense has looked better. But Rutgers' defense played pretty well against Michigan the week prior. Maryland's defense is terrible. But Ohio State, I mean, they're going to find themselves in the playoff again just with that offense. Because I don't think – look, I'm – I don't think Michigan can score with Ohio State. I really, I really don't think Michigan can score with Ohio State. I don't think Michigan State can. And those games are coming up late November, so you still got time. And then Penn State. I don't think any of the teams can score with Ohio State. And Ohio State's going to find themselves in the uh, in the, in in the driver's seat to go to the play. They they got they got tough game home Michigan State, home Penn State, and then on the road. Maybe you got three top ten teams on the schedule. The Big Ten, I'll the Big Ten's probably the best conference of football this year. I I I know that might be a hot take, but they've got uh they probably got the they got the most top quality there in uh, college football. Yeah, you know, I you're not gonna get a ton of pushback from me, but then you know, you can say that, but you look at you know, obviously Georgia, Bama there, they're right there in the top five. Um, Kentucky's playing good football right now. They're sitting there ranked 11 Mississippi's right behind them at 13. So you could probably go, you know, you can make an argument either way for, for, uh, for both conferences, but, uh, no, I mean, I agree with what you said about Ohio state. I don't think a lot of those teams can, can score with them. So they're going to, you know, be able to, to kind of work their way into the NC or excuse me, into the big 10 championship. No problem. And if they're playing Iowa, I, I, that's what I want to see. I want to see Ohio state versus Iowa. I know that. Like I said, I just talked about how terrible that offense is with for Iowa, but I want to see just how good that defense is. And if they win, then they absolutely deserve to be in that uh, be in the playoff. But if Ohio State blows them out or or even beats them, uh, you know, pretty handedly, then I think Ohio State should absolutely. I, n- nine times out of ten, if you're a conference champion of the big t- uh, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, excuse me, the Big Ten or the uh, SEC, you're going to be in if you're the conference champion. I don't care how many losses you have. Uh, nine times out of 10, that's going to be the case. And so if Ohio state has one loss and they're the big 10 champion, then get in over, you know, maybe a, a lesser undefeated team. Yeah, no, if Ohio state wins the big 10, they're going there. If they don't lose another game, they're winning. They're going to the playoff. If Bama wins the big, the sec championship game and their win is against an undefeated Georgia team, guess what? Both of those teams are going in the playoff and then you got to yeah. fight for whatever the four spot is. That's going to be, um, the case there, but here's like rankings. I think. Right now, look, you're the only one that matters is the college football playoff. But I am still shocked at how generous these voters are for Alabama. They lose on the road as 18-point favorites. 18-point favorites, and they drop four spots. Alabama should be... That's, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They got to drop farther than number five. I'm not. They have to. I'm sorry. You 18 point favorites on the road. You got to lose because whenever a big 10 team loses at home or if it's their big favorites at home and lose or they're on the road and lose, they fall like 10 spots. I'm I this the uh, sure you could say, what we still think they're a good team. But you know what? They lost a game. Move them down the rankings. Move them down. The benefit of the doubt that Alabama gets, I think, is very, very funny. Because guess what? I just don't think Alabama, they're a good team, but they, they, the two road games they've played, they won by two, almost blew a late lead to Florida, and they lost to AM. I just, when they get challenged on the road so far, they haven't been very good. And that's where I'm going to judge you because at home, you're going to beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to pee down their leg like they always do. Um, so when you go on the road is the true test and they have not been impressive at all on the road. I am dis I am disappointed. The Aggies beat Bama because I was hoping Miss B state would do that next week at home. I thought that was a shot for the dogs. So I'll be interested to see how Alabama responds against, uh, against the Bulldogs this week. Now, let me ask you, what if Alabama would have been like a 10 point favorite at home and they lose to miss to a uh, and M is that worse? Sure. 10 points. Uh, a 10 point favorite and they lose at home. That's worse than losing. No, no. 18 point favorite on the road. Because then if that game would have been at home, Bama probably would have been like minus 24 or something like that. Okay. So, so the, the, the road loss is worse. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, oh yeah, you, the, it's easier to win at home. It's harder to win on the road, but they would have been a bigger, they would have been a bigger favorite at home. Yeah. That's Vegas. Vegas is probably thinking, 
they're a 21, 22 point favorite at home against AM. And on the road, okay, AM gets those three points, so they're 18, 17 and a half, 18, whatever. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but I I don't know. You're you're all clear close to three touchdown favor. You gotta you should have won the game. No, I was just curious because Ohio State was a 10-point favorite against Oregon, and they lost. Yeah, but they're also the number nine team in the country. That wasn't an unranked team. Yeah, I know. I get it. I mean, second second week of the season or third week of the season, whatever it was. And yeah. I think it's proven that Oregon – I don't think Oregon's as good as everyone thought they were. But I still think Alabama is the – is by far the best one-loss team in the in the nation. So if you got to put them at five, Ohio State's right behind them at six, I you're going to get zero pushback from me on that. Uh, Penn State being seven – Maybe get a little argument there for a couple more undefeateds that should be ahead of them. But as far as if you're just taking looking at the one-loss teams, Alabama's by far the best one-loss team in the nation. Granted, it was to a uh, an unranked team. I think you get a couple more bonus points for it. If it was a non-conference game, then you then they for sure should be you know uh, much farther down. But it being a conference game on the road, you know whatever it may be. Well, whose loss is better then? Uh, f- between Bama and Ohio State. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, we we already said Ohio or Oregon was was ranked when when they lost. Or I okay. mean, and Oregon still is ranked, no doubt, no doubt. But I do I still don't think that that A and M is, or excuse me, that Oregon's as good as we think. They are still ranked for for the time being. But just as far as the team, not I mean, best loss. That's that's BCS. You're t- talking AP poll right now or whatever it may be. You know, you're going off the eye test, and it's still going to be Alabama. Okay, I don't know. I what I saw from Alabama on Saturday was not. It was very un-Alabama like. One game. Well, well, you could say that about Florida. They won by two on the road, and they were up twenty-one to three. And let them Florida gets back into it. They never Bama never lets teams do that. You're you're on the old Alabama. You're on. Last year's Bama team, old Bama no, teams. No, I'd say, I, th- I think this team is still good. I think they're good, but they're knows. definitely not even close to being as good that they have been. And they have oh, serious so, flaws. They're good, but they're not close to being one of the best college football teams we've ever seen. I mean, I think that's okay. I think that's fair. But LSU, they're not bad. They're not close to what they were when they won. Oh, the LSU stinks. But they're not close to what they were in that, you know, that in the national championship. We're only two years removed or whatever it may be. So, okay. I mean, do you, you think can't, you, can't, you can't compare this team to the one of the best teams we've ever seen in Alabama of last year? I'm not just saying last year. I said previous years. Mm-hmm. This is the Alabama general. This team is not even. I don't think this team is close to being that good. To, to especially last year's team, but the year before that, the year before that, I don't think they are. When Tua got hurt, they're not close to that team. I don't think this team. Do you think they're the second best team in the country then? Yeah, I'd still put them number two behind. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd still put them number two. All right, I disagree. I don't think. I don't think. I think Alabama's going to lose another game this year. They're going to lose another one for sure. I'll say that. And and I I'll say this: Alabama won't be in the playoff. I'll say it now. After watching Saturday night, they're not going to be in the playoff. Um, I just don't. I think they're going to lose. They're going to lose another game. Could be at Auburn. Could be this week to Mississippi State. Yeah, it's not going to be either of those. You, how do you know? Do you didn't think we didn't? You didn't think they were going to lose to A and M, and they lost to A and M. No doubt, but it's definitely not. It's not going to happen to Mississippi State. It's not going to happen to Auburn. If they lose another game, it's going to be in the SEC championship. All That's right. the only one. All right. Well, we didn't think you thought they were going to be go undefeated and and make the thing, and that was wrong. That's the whole thing. We don't know what's going to happen. You were wrong with these too. Things. You were wrong too. You were talking about how what a shitty game that CBS picked for the evening game. It so was. It. Everybody yeah. was saying it. Agreed. Everybody Agreed. was Agreed. saying Agreed. it. But don't you don't be like, hey, oh, you thought this? Yeah, everybody did. So I mean, so there was an upset. It was an upset. Absolutely. That's why you know. That's why we're calling it the way it was. It was an upset. Nobody saw it coming. And but I don't. Alabama does not lose another game this season until the until the uh, SEC championship game. That's the next one that they may lose. Okay, that's fine. I'm saying I'm taking what I've seen from Alabama at Florida and what I've seen from them on the road at AM. And Florida's it is a good team. Huh? Florida's a good team. Florida is unranked. They're still a good team. Yeah, because they lost to Kentucky. I still think Florida's a good team. I still, or they're 20th. They're still they're still a good team. Okay, that's fine. AM has been a horrible team this year, and they yeah, pulled it agreed. out. What I'm saying is when Alabama goes on the road to play, they are a different team than they are at home, and that's when you can lose. That's when Bama can lose. And their two toughest road games leading the rest of the season are at Auburn, which no matter what Bama team there and this Auburn team, they can figure out 
a way to win when it's at Auburn. Crazy stuff has happened. And the Mississippi State defense, pretty damn solid. Okay, I'm not expecting Mississippi State to win this week, but when things go, when they go on the road, they haven't looked like they have at home. That's what my eyes have seen, and that's what I'm going on. Okay, that's fair. Um, and especially after losing as 18-point underdogs to a team that could barely score the ball. Um, all right. What? I have the dumbest decision. To, I got one clown as coach of the week. Do you have anything on that? Oh, man. You know what? Go ahead and you 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 lay yours out there, and I'll see if I can, if I can think of one. I have one. It's in the Penn State Iowa game. It's at the end of the game, and they get an interception. Iowa gets an interception. They're up three. There's two minutes and ten seconds left on the clock. Penn State has one timeout left. All right, the game pretty much over. Kirk Ferentz kneels, takes a knee on first down. James Franklin calls timeout. So there's two minutes and 10 seconds left. Kirk Ferentz then proceeds to knee on second down, proceeds to knee on third down, and it comes to fourth down, and there is 47 seconds left on the clock, and Kirk Ferentz has to punt after he has taken three knees because he mismanaged the clock and gives the ball to Penn State with 39 seconds left. Now, albeit they did get at their eight-yard line and no one thought that Penn State was going to move down. But the fact that you need three times and had to give the ball back because you mismanaged the clock or didn't know what was going on over there was timeouts-wise. Most idiotic coaching decision of the weekend for sure. Just unbelievable. Yeah, no, that was quite the head-scratcher. And look, I don't... I don't mean to, I don't even know what the proper word is. Geriatric shame. was Is that something or, or, uh, sure. But he, but he just looks like an old guy out there. You know what I mean? Like back when like Bill Snyder was still coaching for K state too. It's like, you will, you kind of wonder like, do they have their whole bearings about them? And so I don't want to, you know, make that claim, but also I kind of want to make that claim. Yeah. I mean, he's Kirk Farron should be fired like five times. Too. He stinks. Like, I I got I mean, he's just like moseying around over there. I don't know what he's doing over there. Just I don't know. He's just that's he's got that's the, one of those that's one of those coaches that's like how how like how are they running a program? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like how are they obviously their biggest thing is get the two three star guys, you know, try to get some of the better players in state and just build a program, which I respect. But at the same time, it's like the disconnect between him and the players has got to be very, you know, huge. And so like, how do you make that connection? How do you get guys to buy in? How do you get guys to play well for you? Uh, but, you know, credit to him, I guess he finds a way to do it. And, uh, you know, they, they're set, ranked number two in the AP poll right now. Yeah. Well, he had a big, like their, their, um, they had to fire their strength and conditioning coach last year. Cause there was like uh, racist behavior with them or racist yeah. allegations against him and stuff like that. And, like, Excuse me. There seems that like there's the all Urban Meyer hired, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's always, and I think there's things going back to with him. Like there's been stuff that has been like, oh, he should probably be gone or whatever. But uh, um, yeah. All right. Have you found one? That's the only one I thought this weekend. I didn't. I didn't see any other egregious ones, but that one was just horror. You you kneel three times and you punt. You should. I was then hoping that Penn State would win the game just because that they he punted after he kneeled. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a. I mean, run one play, one play guy, and then you're good to go. Yes. Um, my boneheaded coach of the week, and it's not specifically for one decision or one play call, just kind of more of like a whole encompassing thing, and that's gonna be Jack Del Rio because the football team defense stinks. <laughs> okay. All right. But Chase Young got his first sack of the season. And for, that didn't overcome that? No. The secondary that's, is terrible. That's progress. Yeah. Isn't that's, it? I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. What am I doing? I'm not doing yeah. anything. Uh-huh. They got a sack. He got his first sack in week yep. five. That's amazing. Yeah, shut up. That it took five weeks for him to get a sack. I'm a Chase Young guy. Are you? Well, not if he's getting a, his first sack in week five. Everyone thought he was going to tear the I thought he was going to have a huge year. He's struggling. That whole defense is. Like I said, that whole defense is. I don't know what the deal is, but. There is no deal. That's the thing. Yeah. 
The whole thing is, look, I'm going back to it. You're going to hate it. But the, but there's the fact that you're going to say he's not the problem. There's whatever. Taylor Heineke, the fact that they went in with Fitzpatrick and Heineke, they could have traded up for Justin Fields. They didn't do it. I think that's a big mistake. And I know you're going to say you needed a linebacker. We've already rehashed this a lot. But the quarterback crop coming, class coming up this season isn't looking very good. I don't know what's going to happen in free agency or whatever. But I there's just... They don't have the guy. They don't Heineke, have the guy. Heineke's the guy. Heineke's no, the guy. he's not. Yeah, he How is. can you say he's the guy? Because you have to watch him play. And after years and years of watching quarterbacks, Heineke may not be the best physical, physically gifted quarterback we've had behind center in a long time. By far, that's probably RG3. He's been the best physically gifted quarterback we've had. But between the ears and what's in his chest, he's the best quarterback we've had. In a long time, the guy plays with grit. The guy plays with heart. He tries to make every play he possibly can because it might be the last play he makes. And that's a guy that I am down to ride with. I'll take the bad interceptions. I'll take the bad throws. If this defense is, I mean, shit, we've scored 20 points in every single game except for week one against the Chargers. That's unheard of for Washington. I mean, they're, they're averaging, I think, like 25 points a game. That's unheard of. If our defense was playing just, you know, even below what we were playing last season, we'd probably be 5-0. and oh. I mean, we've been playing. This would be a totally different season. So you know, it's it's. I'm I'm down to ride with Heineke. I'm down for you know the playmakers we've had. Now there's a lot of injuries coming down, so it's been tough. But the fact that the defense has played as poorly as it has, I mean, it's that's that's the biggest key. Yeah, but he's not going to win you anything, Heineke. Oh, he absolutely is. He's already won us games this year. He's already won games himself. He won last week against the Falcons. Granted, I get it. I know it's the Falcons. It's fine. He's he's brought us back against the Giants. Again, I know it's the Giants. But he's whenever there's a chance to go win a game because we're in it, because we're close, he'll go do it. And I've there's not been a, a single quarterback in recent history for Washington that you've been able to feel that confident about. It was Yours. always... It was with Kirk Cousins always. Oh, when when's the next pick coming? You know, it was it was always something like that. There's there's whenever there's a game in hand and he has the ball two minutes, let it ride because Taylor Heineke is going to give it his best shot and he's probably going to do you know give you a pretty good chance to win it. You're settling for mediocrity with Taylor Heineke. That's what you're doing. You're settling for mediocrity and a wild card spot at best with Taylor Heineke. That's what you're doing with him. I can say the same thing with Baker. I'm like, I'm not trying to like, hey, you're. How can you say the same thing about Baker? Baker, you you're not going to put Baker in the top echelon of quarterbacks right now. He has not played well, but I'm just saying. Did you watch him yesterday? He played pretty damn well yesterday. I did not watch him yesterday. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. He's had one bad game, and that was last week against the Vikings, but they still won, and he played good yesterday. Okay, and Heineke plays good all the time. He plays very well all the time. I'm down to ride with him. For the time being, because like you said, there's who knows what plays out in free agency. Who knows what this what this quarterback uh, draft is going to be? It doesn't look very good. So if this is what we were going to ride with, I'm down to ride with him. I, I you're not going to get any pushback from me on Taylor Heineke. He's the guy I wanted to start the season. I know and be our quarterback because of the balls he's shown last season and already. Like that's what I mean. Like you, that's the type of guy that you want behind quarterback. That's like I'm going to do this. I'm going to do. I'm going to take us down there. And I'm going to be ride or die because that's what he is right now. And sometimes he's going to throw the bad pick. Hey, you know what? You're going to have to live with that. But it's different. Like with Kirk Cousins, Kirk, actually, Kirk Cousins is probably the best thrower, you know, throwing quarterback we've had in a while over RG3. RG3 obviously had the, the physical, you know, capabilities with the legs, but he was always so scared to throw the big interception that he would and always so nervous to make the big interception that he would. At least that's the way it seemed to fans. And that's the, the kind of consensus consensus across fans where it's like Heineke, he ain't afraid to do it. Like he's going to chuck that ball down the field. We saw it last week with Atlanta where he just kind of threw that ball up. Was it a poor decision? Yeah, probably. Did it work out? Yeah, it did. But guess what? You know, you don't get that shot with a lot of other guys because they don't make that decision. Now, is that bad? Sure, it could be, depending on the which way you look at it. If, if it gets picked off as a bad decision, yeah, the guy's getting getting creamed for it. I get it. I get it. But the fact that he's going to give you a shot, I'll take it because that's what the opposite of what a lot of quarterbacks have, have done. They have not given us the shot to at least try to make it. And right now, the way the Cowboys are playing, I mean, it's a two it's a two horse race. Obviously, the Cowboys are strides above everybody else in the East, and so it's going to be tough to catch up with them the way Dak is playing, the way that offense is rolling, the way Trevon Diggs has totally transformed that defense almost single-handedly. So, yeah, I get it. You know, you're not going to have a ton of shots to uh, 
to win that division as long as they keep playing this way. But again, what else is out there that's going to give you the shot or give you the chance to be neck and neck with the Cowboys right now, the way they're playing? There aren't a whole lot of options. No, there aren't. There aren't any options. But I'm saying if you had a young guy, you'd have at least something, some hope, some promise to go forward with. We like, have that with Taylor Heineke. We have that. He, you think you want Taylor Heineke to be the quarterback of the Washington football team for the next five to ten years or whatever, the next five years? Next five years, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Over Justin – say Justin Fields. Over Justin Fields or over Mac Jones. And I'm not even – I don't even like Mac Jones. But over the two of those guys. Yeah, I don't feel like the physical tools of of Justin Fields and Taylor Heineke are too far apart. Now Justin Fields is a, is more physically gifted, better, you know, probably probably much faster. But as far as the decision making, the arm talent, the decision when to tuck and run, they're probably not as far off as you think. Okay, I think you're crazy about that. Okay. And 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 this division in the NFC East, it's over. It's done. The Cowboys are winning this. And I'll say the Cowboys, they got a good shot to be the number one seed in the NFC. With this division, you got layups. You got two more layups against the Giants and the Eagles. And you probably should win both of those games against Washington. The one on the road will be tougher. You pretty much in the division, you, you get those layup games. You got the Falcons at home. Layup should beat the Raiders at home. Like they have a legitimate chance to be the number one seed this year. And the way the offensive point is playing, they just need to score. They can score 40 on you. And then the defense, look, if the offense has a bad game, the way the defense is playing right now, they can, the offense can put up 24, 25 points. Like we saw against the Chargers, they put up 20 and one. The thing about the offenses I would like to see, because they played the Chargers in week two, but I would like to see the defense. They've, they've taken advantage of playing bad teams the last three weeks. The Eagles, the Patriots or the Eagles, the Panthers, they give those points late. And then the Giants yesterday, and then Glennon came in. I want to see, I need a test for the, the uh, Cowboys defense. That's not going to come until uh, when they play the Chiefs on, on uh, November 21st. Like the Broncos offense isn't anything great. The Vikings, okay, I'll give them the Vikings. They got Thielen. Justin Jefferson, some good receivers there, but then you got Cousins pulling the strings. Like, I need to see a litmus test for the Cowboys defense against going against like a top, like top tier quarterbacks. And other than the Chiefs this year, and then the last, the second to last week of the season against the Cardinals, I'm not really seeing it. Those are really the only two games there. And other than that, I think they're going to, they've, they have a pretty damn easy schedule. They have a really easy schedule. No, absolutely. Absolutely. They do. And, you know, they, they benefit from their finish last year. Uh, so when they, they finished, they ended up finishing third, right? Or were they ranked second in the, in the division? Uh, I think they were second. Okay. So, you know, nonetheless, but they are prone to giving up big, uh, games to guys, you know, you go back to, to week one, Gronk has the 90 catches, the two tutties, you know, uh, Brady throws for almost 400 yards. Last week they, or excuse me, just yesterday, Kadarius Tony obviously has a big game. So there's, there's, you know, spots where guys can have big games against the Panthers. DJ Moore, 113 yards, two touchdowns. So there, you know, like you were kind of saying with Minnesota, when a team has multiple weapons, I'd like to see how they stack up against against teams like that. Uh, you know, they they totally shut down Jalen Hurts and, and the Eagles. So nothing really to bring up about that. The Chargers, you go back. Herbert has a two picks, but still throws for almost 350. Mike Williams has 90 catches and a touch, or excuse me, 90 yards and a touchdown. So, like I said, there's there's uh, spots, or or they are prone to giving up big games to a singular guy. But most of those teams, granted, other than the Chargers, who have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams right now, a lot of those guys are kind of just one one big playmaker, and that's it. Uh, you know, yesterday the Charger, the the Giants don't have Sterling Shepard. Uh, they don't have uh, uh, Saquon goes out early. Um, who they they were missing another a couple other wide receivers, and so that's why Kadarius Tony kind of steps up and has a huge game before he throws a punch and gets ejected. So I I will I am excited to see how they I think I think next week's going to be a walkover with the Patriots because uh, they don't have any offensive weapons really. That defense is very subpar, and so I think Minnesota might be the first test of 
hey, this is a team that does have a couple of lethal weapons that we got to make sure we, we, you know, we can shut down one guy, but we still got to worry. You know, we can shut down just Justin Jefferson. We still got to worry about Thielen and, and Dalvin Cook or vice versa, whatever it may be. So, you know, that I think that that will be a, a good test for them. And we'll see how they come out on top or, or you know, if they come out on top in, in that uh, in that game. Yeah, no, for sure. But the schedule, they don't really have under where they're facing. Like, you're like, wow. Like, yeah. Top of the line quarterbacks. It ain't. It's not. Uh, it's not there the rest of the way. Um, all right. Other games from the weekend. The Green Bay Cincinnati game probably could have been the most funniest ending ever. Five missed kicks. Um, five missed game winning kicks until the end there. That was hilarious. Also, the Packers just settling for field goals after Joe Burrow. Look, we've all talked about Joe Burrow. He's very, very good. But, man, he just makes some horrible throw. Like, that one to start off overtime was horrendous. Like, didn't even come close to his guy. He had some against the Bears. But, God, he makes some horrible, horrible throws sometimes. Um, in a game, the the Bengals probably should have won. But then the Packers could say they should have won if Crosby makes his kicks. Just five missed kicks. Game-winning kicks is is a hilarious thing to watch. Yeah, that was that was wild. It's... Uh... That's just something you don't see ever, and uh, like you said, especially in overtime, I'm surprised the uh, I'm surprised the Packers settled for for the field goals there at the end. I mean, because yes. they were driving on the Bengals, no problem, uh, when they set up the eventual game winner. Uh, so that that was a wild play. The poor Lions can't buy a break. Oh. I mean, heartbreak city for them. Uh, so that's tough. Steelers played much better better than I thought they would against the Broncos. Uh, Spready Bridgewater lets us down and doesn't uh, doesn't cover there against the uh, against the Steelers. Uh, friggin' Brady's back out again, throwing for 800 yards and 16 touchdowns in one game, albeit against the Dolphins. But still, that guy's still tearing it up. Um, but uh, and then and then obviously that Browns Chargers game that was a barn burner of a game going back and forth all day long. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna before we get to the Browns, I was gonna say obviously you agree with Dan Campbell going for two there, right? Hundred percent, because it's the same thing as you mentioned with yeah. Ole Miss, Arkansas. Like these, and you go and you have to try to win that game. Like you, like when yeah. you're, especially when you're winless and you're trying to get a game, you know, or trying to win a game. Because even even though they miss, you know, they miss the the two point conversion, that's kind of a win for Dan Campbell as yeah. far as getting the guys to buy in and like saying like, hey, we're gonna do what we can to try to win every single ball game. So, uh, you know, and then obviously he gives the the. uh the tearful press conference after. So, you know, that's, that's more of a, a locker room win for not a moral victory, totally different. That's a locker room win for Dan Campbell. I would also like to know how they got to midfield or how they got set up for a 54 yard field goal so fast, because like I looked away from the TV after the two point conversion. And the next thing you know, I look up and they're kicking the game winning field goal. Like I'm looking at it now, a six yard pass, a 20 yard pass, I guess a 19 yarder. I guess that does it, but it's like, I uh, I didn't understand how quickly they got down there. I was like, wow, how did they set this up? Um, and losing back-to-back weeks on a 66-yarder, or two out of the last three weeks on a 66-yarder and a 54-yarder, that's a tough um, a tough scene there. And, yeah, no, the Browns-Chargers game was great, but it's it's marred by refereeing fiascos. That's I mean, that's what it comes down to, just horrible officiating. It was a great back and forth game. The analytics guys, it was their dream. They should just put that game on a loop. How many times teams were going for it on fourth down? Brandon Staley going for two down 14. An analytics dream. And then the Browns pushing Austin Eckler in late to score a touchdown so they would get the ball back for a chance to uh for a chance to win. Don't think anybody's ever seen a defense push a guy into the end zone with like five five defensive players in there, but it was just, it was marred by just horrible officiating that just happened to go against the Browns all, especially every key call went against the Browns, especially the fourth and nine against Mike Williams. You've probably seen it. Yeah. Somehow it's called defensive pass interference. When Mike Williams is grabbing the Browns guys, Jersey, that's fourth and nine. The Browns are up seven. They get the ball at like the chargers 45 yard line, like nine minutes ago, the way the Browns offense was going, which literally could not be stopped all day. They're probably going to at least get a field goal and go up two scores. And it's just, it's a, it's, I don't, I'm, I hate being a refs guy, but like every single call that the big call, especially that one went against them. And then the Browns have lost like, their top three starting corners in the game while they're at it. So everybody's like, how's Mike Williams 
running wide open all day long. Well, guess what? Denzel Ward got hurt in the first quarter. Then their slot corner was hurt. Their, their, their fifth cornerback, hybrid safety, he got hurt. Their slot guy got hurt in the middle of the game. Greedy got hurt at the end of the game. Like They, they had no corners. All the communication was messed up. They just got killed with injuries. And then their right tackle gets hurt, so they're without, they're without their starting left tackle, starting right tackle, and they put up 42 points. And they then they still only score three touchdowns out of six times in the red, red zone, and they almost sh- should have won the game. It's just, it's just I'm 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 just look. The Browns are very good. We we have a legitimate argument to be five and zero. We pissed away the Chiefs game, pissed away the the Chargers game. I would just like to win one of these shootouts. We had the one against Baltimore last year. I just want to win one of these shootouts because they're a good team, and we got to stop here or there or get a call to go our way when it should go our way. We're going to be, we're a damn good team and we're, they're going to make some noise. Yeah. The Mike Williams play was tough. Um, you know, obviously was, was very much so not defensive pass interference. Uh, and you know, that's kind of one of those things we talked about. Should that be reviewable or not? I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was, like I said, it was a good game. They went back and forth that, that, that last second touchdown or, or close to wrapping up, wrapping up where Eckler's trying to stay, you know, just kind of go down and everybody kind of picks him up and carries him in the end zone. That's a hilarious scene, but, uh, Justin Herbert, man, he's just, he's good. He's very good. I know he like said, I know they didn't have a lot of corners and there was a lot of miscommunication issues, but still, man. He's he's going to be top of the class, uh, you know, by far, I think the best pick coming out of that draft class. And, um, you know, he's going to be one of the ones that sticks around for a, for a long, long time. No, he is good. He is good. And this is going to sound like I don't know if it's going to sound like, oh, he's he's sour grapes or whatever. He's very good. But I was cooking on this that I meant to say after the Monday night game, he didn't do any yesterday because the guys were wide open. But on those deep balls, sometimes, boy, does he airmail guys big time. Yeah. Like, he like he if that's the one thing I also looked up like his accurate accuracy for the season. And before yesterday, he was at like 66 percent, which when I've seen him, it's always seems like, man, he's making he's making these throws that are bad or missing guys that are wide open or whatever. But I mean, he has the tendency to just airmail guys. Big time. If that's the one, that's like the one thing I would say that's him that that is a critique that he that he is airmailing guys um, a lot. But no, yeah, he's he's very very good. And the Chargers, they're a good team. The defense, they're gonna make you. You can run on the Chargers defense. Their their def their rush defense is horrible, and that's what the Browns did yesterday. And they didn't even really take any shots down the field. It was like. The game plan was run the ball, throw short passes, and the Chargers are not known for tackling very well and make them make them uh, tackle you. And guess what? It worked. They weren't tackling the Browns at all. The Browns were Chubb was running free. David and Joku game of his life. No one saw that coming. He was running free. It was just it was uh, it was everything. And then you could say, I mean, Odell only had one catch yesterday. I think they throw it to him like two or three times. But Odell. You could say he kind of cost the brain. He had a he had a he dropped a, a wide open fourth down pass on a crossing route in the first half that would have put points on the board. And he he was that was one of the biggest plays of the game that no one's uh, talking about this morning. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, look, the Browns are still good. The offense is a good. big one against Arizona this week, though. That should be another uh, another fun game there. And they uh, without the corners or whatever, we're going there. It said big weekend too for uh, throat contusions. Never heard of a throat contusion before. We got two of them yesterday, both by players in the state of Ohio. So a big, uh, a big weekend for throat contusions. Yeah, uh, we were watching the end of that uh, the Banger Bengals Packers game, and uh, when they were getting ready to start the the Cowboys game, they talked about Burrow, you know, having to go to the hospital for his for getting poked in the throat. And Jamie was like, "Does that hurt? Like getting poked in the throat?" And I said, "Buddy." That might be one of the worst. Have you ever been hit in the throat by anything? Uh, maybe. Like I've taken like a baseball to the throat. Like when I when I would be a, when I was a catcher, one of the biggest things I always teach my catchers is tuck that chin down because you take a ball to the throat. Jiminy Christmas, there's yeah. nothing worse. It, it yeah, it's it's brutal getting hit in the throat. So uh, yeah, Burrow and uh, and who was who was the other one that that got the throat contusion? Jok. Jok. Yeah. That's, he's flying uh, back uh, today, so he's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, a big weekend for the throat contusion. Um, all right. Little baseball wrap up the, uh, raise. What, still what's your th- huh? That's yeah. Still it's, still, it's still going on. Also nice signs of a uh, sign stealing by, uh, a white Sox reliever against the Astros saying fishy things still going on at Minimade. 
Look, I'd be all for that, but if the Ast- but the Astros scored three runs in the first or six runs in the first three innings, kind of hard for people to back up that accusation. And I'm not saying I disagree with it, but maybe pick a better spot. Yeah, I, did, I missed that. I didn't see that. Uh, I just I, I did see the beatdown that the Astros did serve up the White Sox in the first two games. Um, I didn't. I missed the part that the relievers saying that there's still some fishy stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's been uh, you know good baseball on the National League side. Obviously, that first game with the Dodgers Giants was very good with Buster Posey. You know, coming out of I guess his grave. I don't know. I mean, walking come back from dead. Obviously, he was an opt out last year, but I feel like he's been around for years and uh, comes up and puts one in the water. Brendan Crawford, who might be the dopest baseball player in all of baseball, he does it too. And then the the Dodgers come back and kind of do what they did. So it's been it's been good. It's been fun baseball. I'm I'm I know this is I'm I'm thoroughly against this, but I am I might be the biggest Rays fan right now, and they're just letting me down. And uh, that's where we are. Well, they got hosed last night. Even if the rule, even if the hose. even if the rule, they did it correctly. They got hosed. Like if that ball doesn't go off uh, Renfro's leg into that thing, uh, what's his face? Yandy Diaz is scoring, Scores, and they're yeah. up one. And yeah, you. The funniest thing ever is that is I saw Red Sox fans saying, "Well, they won by two, so it doesn't matter." That, seriously, get that out of here. You do not know how that game would have gone. Okay, it's game flow. Yeah, they the Rays could have scored. They could have scored two more runs. Like you don't know what would have happened. That's very similar to the Stantonian home run, where like Ugh. life just gets sucked out of you. So the the uh, the momentum is just goes over to the other dugout because you think you just got this big. You know, if you're Kiermaier, you think you get this big game winning hit or this go ahead hit, and uh, you know it, it turns out that's that's not the case. And, you know, you're second standing at second and third. And so, like you said, you know, after, after you score a run, the next guy comes up, he's juice, he's amped. All the, all the momentum is in your dugout and you're ready to roll. And so you, you definitely, you don't know how that, how that ends up playing out. Uh, you know, maybe Kiermaier gets a third. He's a guy that's got some wheels. Maybe he's able to get to third. That ball kicks around a little bit. Who knows, but they absolutely got hose. You, you know, you definitely hate to see it. And, uh, you know, now they got to bounce back and, and, and Velazquez, it was funny because I, I have a kid that plays on my team. Who's a, who's a Red Sox fan. And so we were rehash, you know, we were talking about stuff back before the Yankees Red Sox game. And I said, there's two guys that worry me, Verdugo and Velazquez. I said, Verdugo's good. And he hits tanks all the time. I said, Velazquez, he'll come up and hit a dong when it, when it, uh, matters or, you know, put a ball off the center field wall when it matters. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. Because even when I told the kid, I was like, Verdugo worries me. He's like Poppy number two right now to me. We're like, whenever you saw Poppy come up, you're like, oh, shit, something's about to happen. And I said, Velasquez, he always worries me. He kind of looked at me sideways like, Velasquez, he stinks. you know. And I was like, I get it. No, I get it. The guy isn't the greatest. He's definitely not the best hitter in that lineup. But he just delivers in the clutch. And sure enough, that's the that's the wanker that does it for, uh, for them last night. My buddy was at the game. This is what – look. I know I gave Aaron Boone tra- or crap for his comments in the in the press conference last week when he said it looks like the uh, the rest of the AL has finally closed the gap on on the Yankees. That was such a loser comment and a loser mentality of Aaron Boone. But but the reason why the Red Sox will always be the little brother to the Yankees is they just got finished beating the Rays and my buddy sends me a video of them chanting Yankees suck. Yankees suck. It's like you just beat the Rays. You took care of the Yankees weeks ago, last week, but still, it feels like weeks ago. And you're still chanting Yankees suck. That's exactly why the Red Sox will always be the little brother to the Yankees. And no matter how many more World Series they win before the Yankees win the next one, they will always think they're the little brother. They always will be the little brother. And that's just the way life is going to go on. And there's not much really else to say about that, but that's just that's just how it goes. But again, I'm, I'm the biggest Rays fan right now. I would love to see Rays Dodgers in the in the in the series or in the World Series. I haven't watched much of the. That's the other thing. You got to agree with me here. This scheduling for baseball playoffs has stunk. Games are starting at like three, and normally I would say that's you know that's that's great. Like yeah, give me some afternoon baseball. But if you're giving me some afternoon baseball, and I know they wouldn't do this for playoffs, but still, like put it like noon or one. But when games are wrapping up at like five o'clock, because the next one's got to start, I'm not seeing much of that three to five o'clock game because it's prime, like 
baseball time for me when I'm like, you know, giving lessons, things like that. But so I haven't seen a whole ton of the, the Braves Brewers series. I did see Rusty uh, or uh, Rowdy uh, Telez hit the hit the two run bomb a couple of nights ago. So that was big. Um, but uh, yeah, baseball. Love it. This is this is how the schedule's been like for years. I just I know, but just it's it's killing me. It's killing there's a game me. at noon today. Perfect. But when they do two, if when when they do no, I know, I know, two I games know. a day. You just want them to cater to your personal schedule. Hundred percent. Is that so much to ask? A lot, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, okay. your one view isn't helping out everybody. The networks. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, but no, yeah, this is what they. This is how the schedule's always been. No, I I know, uh, I know, I know, but it's just it's it's tough. Like today's today's slate's gonna be fine because I can watch Milwaukee, Atlanta. I'll watch a little bit of Houston White Sox. Uh, probably be able to catch the end of of Rays Boston, and uh, and then be be ready to go for San Francisco and the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, no, but this is how it's always been. So I. And, and it's still. And, no, it's good. It's also look. It's hard. It's hard when they're going up against like. It's also hard too when they're putting Rays Red Sox on MLB Network. I mean, I have MLB. We have MLB Network, so it's not. Yeah. But it's like I understand they want MLB Network on TV, and both of the AL series have done it. That's what they do with Fox. So that's I mean that's another thing. But uh, um, yeah, no, it's uh, the whole Rays. Uh, their pitching has just gone down to down the dumpster. Yeah, down the dump. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. No, we'll have to see what uh, happens. Hopefully, we get a couple of game fives coming in, uh, coming in there. But uh, all right, one other thing before we go, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but today, everyone's favorite college golfer, Earl J.R. Smith, or Earl Smith Jr. He is playing in his first collegiate event. He uh, he qualified for it. I have a score update for you. He is through sixteen holes. Do you have a guess on what his score is? 75 uh well he's made 66 shots so far he's six over okay and that would put him at a 77 and it really stinks because he has bogeyed the last five holes he's played tough he was he started off with a par which is always good he bogeyed his second hole birdied his third hole double bogeyed his fourth hole Birdied the fifth, birdied his fifth hole, and then made five straight pars. So through his first ten holes, he was one over at the shotgun start. First ten holes is um, um, is a uh, one over, and then he's now bogeyed the last uh, five holes, which is tough. But hey, he's in it. It's his first tournament round, probably in his life. And if he can par out, shoot seventy-seven. If things don't go off the rails here. I'd say anything breaking 80, that's very respectable in his first round. He's, one of his teammates is four under par. His, one of his teammates birdied uh, six holes in a row. Another one's one under, and then a couple are six under, and another guy's nine over. So he's holding his, uh, holding his own there. Yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. You know, first one out the gates, you know, maybe a little, a little uh, jitters, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure old Swish will, uh, will find his touch here pretty soon. Yes, we will also. Okay, so baseball, the White Sox Astros game is going to be postponed until tomorrow afternoon due to weather. Mm. So, uh, hey, maybe you'll, you'll you'll get a noon game tomorrow. I thought it might be because John Cusack wanted it to be rescheduled. Maybe, maybe could be for that. All right, that'll do it for us. We'll we'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm.